0: A small woodland creature wakes up to another day in their enchanted world. It's full of whimsical creatures that look unlike anything you and I have ever seen before. One of those creatures is their very best friend, and the two continuously find themselves on adventures full of thrills and danger. But the two don't just wander aimlessly. They are under the watch of a beloved mentor who helps them in their quest to discover a magical, ancestral treasure. Now, it's a battle to keep it out of the hands of an evil organization and its corrupt leader. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast that looks back on a decade that forever changed the way we dress, consume, and connected. And today we travel back to revisit the interactive toy that was not only an astounding technological and commercial success, but changed the toy industry forever. This is the story of Teddy Ruxpin. Teddy Ruxbin was an animatronic interactive storytelling toy bear released in the mid 80s. This advanced piece of toy technology used cassette tapes and read stories out loud with its mouth and facial movements perfectly in sync with the words. This was groundbreaking not only in its creation and interactive experience, but in how it was marketed and expanded into several media formats. What seems like a simple talking bear to us today represented a huge shift in the toy industry and has a unique origin story. But how did all of this happen? And how did this incredibly successful toy come to be? Our story begins with Ken Forsey and actually starts back in the 1950s with Disney. Forsey worked at the Disney parks, creating some of the moving audio animatronic characters for various rides and attractions. The animatronics were quite unique in that the actions and movements were controlled by programming from giant spools of magnetic tape. Forsey eventually branched out on his own, but continued his work in animatronics, consulting for the creation of the singing animatronic characters you would eventually see at Chuck E. Cheese. Forsey also created costume versions that incorporated this animatronic technology, which was then used for the characters in the live-action Welcome to Pooh Corner from 1983, one of the first big shows for the new cable channel from Disney. Forsey envisioned this technology shrinking down even further, and maybe even making its way into homes. According to a 2016 Mental Floss article, one of Forsey's first ideas, was to pay tribute to the early days of the space race. NASA used primates in those early days, and he thought a toy monkey could make for a good toy. This didn't come to be, and Forcey wondered if they could take a common stuffed animal, such as a toy bear, and get this technology shrunk down small enough that he could create a kid-friendly version of the giant animatronics. But it was a tough idea to present to toy companies. The technology didn't make much sense to them, and they didn't necessarily understand his vision. At this point, Orsi had created a crude prototype. Like the Disney animatronics, the prototype had a radio-controlled head made of two parts. One part controlled the face via FM signals. But this is far from the cute and cuddly Teddy Ruxpin that would end up on shelves. So, again, it was just hard for the toy companies to get on board. Fisher-Price passed, and so did HBO. But why would you approach a cable channel about making a toy? Well, 4C had the foresight to envision some sort of programming that could exist in conjunction with the toy to create an expansive backstory and universe. We'll get back to this in a little bit. But something needed to be done about the prototype. Eventually, Forsey looked to something that was now much more commonplace in many stores and homes. Something that in the music world would soon overtake vinyl albums and sales. Cassette tapes. Forsey used a standard two-track stereo cassette. The audio could be recorded on one track, and then the signals that sent the physical commands to the toy's head could be recorded on the other. It was the same concept as the giant spools of magnetic tape, from the old Disney attractions, just shrunken down into the perfect size. If you're under say 25 and maybe even up to 30, it may be hard to picture, but in many parts of the world, we could actually use cassette tapes to play video games on our home computers like the Commodore 64. Using a cassette tape drive or data set, spelled D-A-T-A-S-E-T-T-E, the conventional cassette tapes were able to store data, which was read into the Commodore's memory. At the time, magnetic tape storage was cheaper than disks and disk drives. Depending on where you're listening from, you may remember the Commodore PET computer. These were found in many classrooms and had the cassette tape drive built right into the entire unit. Cassette tapes seem very quaint today, but they really were a remarkable piece of technology. They went far beyond just making a mixtape for the person you liked. By using a two-track cassette tape, the Teddy Ruxpin prototype could perfectly sync facial movements from the speech of the audio track. But it was still a tough sell. Bringing this unorthodox toy to life would involve a connection another huge technology company that was already well-established in homes, Atari. Don Kingsborough was president of the consumer products division at Atari and now is looking for a new project to work on. Along with another former Atari employee, Kingsborough formed a company called Worlds of Wonder. When Kingsborough saw the newly improved prototype, he agreed to manufacture the toy. And I mentioned that Forsey went to HBO with a possible toy TV show crossover. This is because he had created an entire backstory behind this talking teddy bear. Remember, Forsey is coming from a Disney background and knew the importance of story and world building. A talking bear is still very cool, but creating a backstory for the toy helps the user, in this case kids, fully realize the world the toy is coming from. Just like G.I. Joe, Transformers, or My Little Pony, the backstory behind these things lets us identify with the characters and become more invested in them. A backstory explains important information about the characters, their motivations, and why they are the way that they are. Backstory creates an emotional connection and relatability and gives each character their specific identity. Without backstory, all you have is an army figure a transforming robot, and a plastic pony. Basically, backstory makes these things more real. The talking teddy bear was going to be much more than a shrunken-down character from Chuck E. Cheese. It would have a history and identity. And here's what that backstory for Teddy Ruxpin looked like. Teddy isn't actually a bear, but a bear-like creature called an Iliop. And he's actually about 15 years old. Teddy comes from the land of Grundo and has a best friend, an eight-legged spider-like creature called Grubby. They also have their own version of Doc Brown, a bumbling inventor named Newton Gimmick. Then there is the adversary, a wizard of sorts named Tweeg. There's a bit of J.R. Tolkien here. But 4C created a very vast and expansive universe, explored more in the books and in a future animated series that we'll get to in a bit. So that's the story, but how does this all come together in the physical toy? And how did this thing actually work? Teddy's head is filled with servo motors that allow the toy to talk, but also display other facial movements such as frowning, yawning, and giggling. The motors also control eye movements and blinking. The physical movements are delivered by one of the stereo sound tracks on the cassette tape, while the other one contains the spoken word vocals. The pre-recorded cassettes went into the back of Teddy, so the audio track was synced up with the movements programmed to go along with that audio. This is why if you put in a cassette tape of, say, the Beastie Boys, Teddy wouldn't perform any movements or sing along to No Sleep Till Brooklyn, as that cassette just contained an audio track. Not that I tried to do that. The tapes and books were sold separately, so each story would be programmed with different facial movements. But the movements of Teddy Ruxpin just didn't come out of thin air on the cassettes. They had to be designed and programmed in. To create the actions and movements, a puppeteer used a joystick to slowly control the movements of Teddy's mouth, which were programmed onto large magnetic tapes, which could be duplicated onto the cassettes. Then, things like eye movements were programmed in. Next, voice actors and musical directors came together to create the voices, stories, and music for the cassettes. Orsi was able to use his connections at Disney to get some pretty elite talent on board. The voice of Teddy and creator of a lot of the songs and music was Phil Barron. Barron also had a puppeteering background. He did some work with the Muppets and was the voice of Piglet in Welcome to Pooh Corner. With the backstory in place, Borsi was able to sell ABC on creating two live-action specials to air on Saturday morning. This would not be cheap, though. An LA Times article from 1985 says that ABC put up half of the $1.5 million production budget. This was more than they would usually spend, but the vice president of ABC said that, quote, the technology is so extraordinary, we decided it was worth it, unquote. The two specials were never intended to make money directly, but were used as a vehicle to promote the toy. Like most programs we watched on Saturday mornings in the 80s, these shows would simply be Saturday morning commercials for the new bear. Kind of like infomercials, but with better acting. The hope was, though, that the show and toy would be a success, and that would mean they'd be able to turn that two-part show into a regular series. It was live-action, though, and live-action was more expensive than animation. But the thought was that the existing sets and costumes would be ready to go for a series. And that would be cheaper in the long run than having to continue to pay artists to create animation. But stay tuned as all of this is going to change. It's 1985 at this point. But now, like with any toy, getting a new release out in time for Christmas is absolutely paramount. It was a race against time to get this thing out in time for the holidays. In just six months, which is almost inconceivable, Teddy Ruxpin went from prototype to store shelves. The live-action series was ready, and it was timed out to perfectly sync with both the release of the Teddy Ruxpin toy, the first 13 tapes and books, and the holiday season. Was all of this work and planning going to pay off? Was the TV show going to be the core piece to getting this toy to success? It turns out they wouldn't even need the show at all. Everything 80s will return after these messages. The first Teddy Ruxpins hit shelves in September 1985, a few months before the specials even aired. Despite the steep price tag of about $70 or nearly $200 today, Worlds of Wonder sold an astonishing 41,000 units in just one month. By Halloween of 1985, they were already over the $2 million mark in sales. That's at least $5.5 million when adjusted for today. And this show hadn't even come out yet. It wasn't even really the holiday shopping season yet. By the time the live-action series came around, it definitely helped, but was almost immaterial. The uniqueness of this toy, portrayed perfectly in a very effective marketing campaign, made kids want a Teddy Ruxpin more than anything. Show and tell time. Another <laughs> teddy bear. My teddy's name is Teddy Ruxpin. He talks. He tells stories. He... <laughs> Four batteries not included. Hi, my name is Teddy Ruxpin. Can you and I be friends? I really enjoy talking to people. I would like you Teddy Ruxpin, the storytelling bear, comes with illustrated book and cassette from Worlds of Wonder. A very smart marketing move was that Teddy Ruxpin commercials aired during cartoons and in prime time. This way there was no way for kids or parents to miss them. Considering this really wasn't a cheap item, the sales were astonishing. Teddy Ruxpin was on my wish list for the Christmas of 85, but definitely didn't show up under my tree. Or in 86. Actually, I'm still waiting. And like Captain Power, a toy and show I have a previous episode all about, you couldn't properly enjoy Teddy Ruxpin without making additional purchases. With Captain Power, you couldn't fully enjoy the TV show without the interactive space toys. And to properly use Teddy Ruxpin meant plunking down another $12.95 for the tapes. That's more than $35 a pop in today's money. It was a perfect money-making system. And with 60 titles eventually being released, there was always something new to ask for. Teddy Ruxpin became the best-selling toy of 1985. And it was only out for barely three months. The astonishing success continues into 1986. By early 86, more than a million Teddy Ruxpins have been sold. This caught everyone by surprise. As reported in the LA Times, Teddy Ruxpin sold more units in its first year than the iconic Cabbage Patch Kid did in 1983. By 1987 nearly 1.5 million units were sold. In its first fiscal year, sales for the company hit a remarkable $93 million. What's that in today's money, you ask? Well, I'm glad you did, as that's over a quarter of a billion dollars today. Teddy Ruxpin was so successful that the toy went beyond a talking teddy bear and was now part of its own new toy category called Animated Plush. Another reason Teddy Ruxpin is such a historic toy is that it didn't come from a giant toy company like Mattel, Fisher-Price, or Hasbro, but from a relatively small company called Worlds of Wonder. The company had some money behind it, but not at the level of some of the big players. The amazing thing was, Teddy Ruxpin was their first toy release, and it became the number one selling toy for 1985 and continued to dominate in 86. When you consider this may have been the golden age of modern toys, it was a remarkable feat. Just think of the all-time classic toys out for Christmas of 85, Transformers, Barbie, G.I. Joe, My Little Pony, Care Bears, He-Man, Wuzzles, Rainbow Bright, GoBot, even the Cabbage Patch Kids were still going strong. And the talking bear from the brand new company beat all of them. Teddy Ruxpin used remarkable technology, and there just wasn't anything else like it on the market. The fact Teddy Ruxpin sold what it did at the price point it was just adds to its legacy. A 1985 New York Times article states how in its first year, Worlds of Wonder had a growth rate, quote, faster than even the best of the new computer companies, unquote. This was one of the fastest growing companies in history, all thanks to a talking bear. Sorry, Iliop. At this point, a full animated series made perfect sense. Country with me tonight. Let's go to places and search. The Adventures of Teddy Ruxbin debuted in late December 1986. It was created by Forsey and based on the Teddy Ruxbin world he had already created. The show was syndicated by Dick Enterprises and animated here in Canada by Atkinson Film Arts. This is the same company that animated another groundbreaking Canadian cartoon that I have a previous episode all about: The Raccoons. Like most other cartoon shows from the 80s, the toy comes first and the cartoon is introduced to support it. Teddy Ruxpin was already a hit, and a cartoon series could take things to the next level by introducing new characters and new stories for subsequent toy releases. Phil Barron was back to provide the voice of Teddy Ruxpin. Now, with all the creative possibilities that come from animation, 4 was really able to expand the Teddy Ruxpin universe. The Adventures of Teddy Ruxpin ran for two seasons of 65 episodes, finishing in October of 1987. And if you wondered why there were specifically 65 episodes, this was the minimum amount needed for syndication to keep the cartoon going in reruns. So besides the unique technology, what made Teddy Ruxpin such a groundbreaking toy? One of the first big things was that Teddy Ruxpin had more of an educational component to it. It wasn't teaching kids how to do math per se, but the reading of stories had a more positive aspect to it than my G.I. Joe killer whale hovercraft, which held missiles and could drop depth charges. But whereas toys like Transformers or Care Bears were still fun and interactive in their own way, Teddy Ruxpin could help kids learn to read. Or, at the very least, expand their minds creatively with the stories. For parents, it was like having a fuzzy robotic babysitter that could help out with the bedtime story duties. Media integration is another reason why Teddy Ruxpin was quite groundbreaking. Many toys in the 1980s had cartoon shows, but Teddy Ruxpin had a wider ability to cross promote. Besides the toy, there were the stories on cassettes, the books, the music, the live action show and the cartoon series which was also available on home video and VHS there weren't many other toys that had this type of media reach teddy ruxpin was a true multi-platform experience worlds of wonder helped to perfect what toy makers in the 80s were calling concepts which is just a simple word to describe the entire world of a fictional toy and character along with the many accessories and other characters that would soon send begrudging parents on multiple trips to stores. Today, we might call that a universe, but it's something that toy companies of the 1980s honed with razor precision. Toys of the 60s and 70s didn't have the luxury of releasing 22-minute long commercials disguised as cartoon shows. They had more restrictions and didn't have free reign to directly and aggressively market to children. And they didn't have VHS releases filling store and video rental shelves. It wasn't enough to just have a product. You needed to be a category. In the 80s, toy manufacturers learned that instead of licensing a character, it was much easier and more lucrative to just create one. And all of this led to more market expansion. Teddy Ruxpin and the accompanying books and cassettes allowed the brand to be sold in more locations. Teddy Ruxpin was part toy, part piece of technology. Not only could you find it on toy shelves, but often in electronics stores. Teddy Ruxpin was available in Toys R Us and department stores. And the books and tapes could be found in toy stores, department stores, and bookstores. In the 80s, you didn't exactly see bookstore shelves filled with G.I. Joe and Transformer figures and playsets. Any 1980s property that may have had a book associated with it didn't have the expansive library of books and cassette tapes that Worlds of Wonder did with Teddy Ruxpin. The bookstore was a unique location where mainstream competition was limited. The VHS tapes of The Adventures of Teddy Ruxpin led to even more market expansion as video rental stores were yet another place to find the Teddy Ruxpin brand. This was a unique toy that extended well beyond traditional toy stores. Teddy Ruxpin was so much more than just the physical bear. Sorry, Iliop. But after a few years of astonishing success, things started to slow down for Teddy Ruxpin in Worlds of Wonder. The problem was, the bear itself was the initial investment. And even though it had come down in price, by a few years in, every kid that was going to own one probably already had one, except for me. And not surprisingly, because of the phenomenal success of Teddy Ruxpin, other companies got in on the animated plush market. Competition ramped up. It seemed as if every shelf was full of some sort of interactive or talking stuffed animal. Even in Radio Shack, you could buy the Radio Shack Teddy Talk to Me Plush Bear. With a saturated market and with so many Teddy Ruxpins already sold, things started to slow down. By Christmas of 1987, things were pretty dire for Worlds of Wonder. But this was also the case across the board for the whole toy market. There were so many hit toys released all at once in the early to mid eighties that eventually the market had to cool. Many of the major companies were now losing money. Was this because there are only so many toys a kid can own? You simply couldn't own every single Transformer, GI Joe or My Little Pony. But was it because we were also growing up? A 10 year old kid crazy about He-Man in 1984 was now a teenager. We grew up, developed new interests, and were moving on from the toys we grew up with. For Worlds of Wonder, two years of astronomical success were about to come crashing down. They were plagued by delayed shipments, supplier issues, and rising costs, not to mention all the talking animal competition. After releasing a new product called Laser Tag, the company's expenses grew out of control. By late 1987, after becoming one of the fastest growing companies in history, Worlds of Wonder filed for protection under the bankruptcy laws. By 1988, the company was liquidated and operating control was sold off to an investor. By 1990, it was finally closed. As for Teddy Ruxpin, the toy did make several comebacks. Later versions of the toy were released by PlaySchool and then a company called Wicked Cool Toys. But Teddy Ruxpin had created a remarkable legacy. In the mid-80s and second half of the decade, the kids' toy market was all about interaction. Interactive technology was the hot property of the day. And it's why we saw all of these things like Teddy Ruxpin, Captain Power, the Nintendo Rob, the light gun, and the NES running pad. Nintendo really honed in on the interactive aspect, and after the video game crash of 1983, when many toy companies wanted nothing to do with video games, Nintendo positioned itself more as a toy. Nintendo made it very well known they weren't a video game, but an entertainment system. You didn't use video game cartridges, but game packs that you didn't put into a video game console, but a control deck, And that control deck front-loaded like a VCR instead of on top like an Atari. The use of the Nintendo Rob, which played the games with you, further solidified that Nintendo, like Teddy Ruxpin, was part of the toy market, not the video game market. This was an era of rapidly changing toy technology that kids had only ever dreamed of. A toy like Teddy Ruxpin was like living in the future. We grew up with speaking spells but they didn't read stories to us and practically act them out. The animatronics we had seen on TV, or at Disney, or at Chuck E. Cheese now existed in our own homes. Out of the ashes of the video game crash of 83 came a new era of video games and interactive toys. And leading that charge was Teddy Ruxpin and Worlds of Wonder. What seems like a quaint and humorous toy today really was remarkable technology when it came out in the mid-80s, and you have to put yourself in the shoes of a six-year-old kid. For a little kid, Teddy Ruxpin was pretty magical, and it generated an appeal that gives it a rightful place as not only one of the most successful toys of the 80s, but of all time. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. And here are some suggestions for further listening from my previous episodes. I mentioned my show about Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future, and that makes a good companion piece to this episode. I also have shows all about the history of Nintendo and the NES, along with episodes devoted to other classic 80s toys, such as G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Gem and the Holograms. If you like this show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss out on other great 1980s content. And if you're in a position to do so, you can consider becoming a part of Patreon.com. That's a platform to help support the show, but get access to bonus audio content like the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast. If you want to learn more, just head on over to Patreon.com slash 80s. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash 80s zero s or click on the link in the description so that's it for me thank you for listening i'm jamie this has been everything 80s but i'll be back soon with a new episode don't you dare miss it